How you doing? You doing okay? Are you? Are you just nodding your hair, head because that's what the pastor expects? <laughs> but I'm, I'm telling you, wherever you're at, whether you're going through stuff or, you know, you're on top of the world or it's been like the worst week ever, God is faithful. God is faithful. And God can move in your life. Uh, we had an uh, incredible week. We were literally all week in Virginia Beach at our WAVE conference which is our network, our collective. See, we're part of a network. We're connected. We're not just here us. There are people praying for you. You don't know that. You don't know their names. But there's people praying for you all over this country uh, and, and literally around the, the, the nation, praying for you, praying for Tampa Church, and praying as, as we uh, lift up others in, the, in the, this collective. And uh, so that was exciting to get together with everyone and just hang out and get to, get to see what they're going through. And, and some of them, man, it's been amazing, and they're building and blessings, and some of them it's really, really, really tough. It's a lot like when we gather all together. Those things were all there. But really enjoyed that uh, week and just so full, so full of everything. Um, and then we drove back literally all day yesterday uh, because we wanted to experience what it was like to drive uh, all the way up to Virginia Beach and back in an electric car. And we got the experience of what that's like. And what that's like is about every two, two and a half hours, you stop, you go to the charge, and it's all mapped out. It's all good, you know. And it'll tell you, okay, charge from 20 to 67%, and then you're on the road. It figures out the fastest way. And, and so that was interesting. But, see, that's a different way of traveling. I'm not used to traveling that way. How many know what I'm talking about? I'm used to in your car, and you're going, and you don't stop until you're out of gas or people are screaming in the back, I got to use the restroom or I got to eat. <laughs> one, of the, one, of the, one of those, you know. And usually, you try to combine it where they're all together. <laughs> but this is different. This is more laid back traveling. So I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to do that. It was actually pretty difficult for me. You know, and then you, you charge, and then you look around for food, and there are Chick-fil-A's over there. God, plastic play. And then you're moving toward it and you eat and then you're walking back and then the rain comes and soaks you. But you know, it's all good, right? It, it, you, you enjoy it. But I learned something about uh, electric cars, you know, a little bit. And one of the things about electric car is I, I noticed that at one time we were charging and it was like we were down to eight or 10%. And that's a little bit scary because you don't know when this thing's going to stop. But we, we we got there all good. And, and but it was the, the you could see the percentage of how it's adding up. And it went from eight to ten to twelve. And it was just like shooting up. And I I said, wow, this is really charging fast this time. And of course, Jared, who knows all this stuff, my son, he just said, you know, uh, well, well, Dad, it's like this. He said, when the battery is empty and really low, it charges faster. But when it gets more full, it slows down. And I said, well, why is that? And he says, because it's so full. This is him explaining it so I can understand it. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> and so he says, when it's so full, it, it, it actually pushes back. There's more resistance the more full it gets. And I, I heard that, and all of a sudden, just something went off inside of me. Because I always had my pastor hat on. I went, I was like, man, I think that's God speaking. You see, we get so full of this world, so full of the way the world thinks, the way the world acts, the way the world behaves, that we start to push back. <laughs> and so I don't know if you're really, really full of all the things of this world, of all the things going on in your life, maybe full of fear or anxiety and worry or, or, or apprehension about the future or, or things that are going on or in your life. But if you're full, 
and it's, it, you'll push back on what God has to do. And I believe this morning God wants to deposit something in our lives. And I want you to open up and just see what God is going to do in your life. Just see how he's going to put that in your life. So let's open up a little bit. Say, God, what are you saying? I'm ready. I'm ready to receive. Are you ready? Are you ready to receive what God has? The, I'm going to start in Genesis. And you're thinking, oh, no, that's a long sermon. <laughs> but but uh, just a thought. Just a thought. In Genesis, it says that God formed man out of dust. I was thinking about that. and he, You know, God created the whole world out of nothing. He blinked, if he has eyes, whatever. <laughs> he blinked, and it was there. He created the whole world out of nothing. But that's not how he created us. He created us out of substance. So we're connected to this world. This body is. And one day it'll go back to dust. And then we're going to get, at the end, when Jesus comes back, we'll get a glorified body, which we've talked about. You're wondering, what's that all about? Go back and watch last week's video. <laughs> and so we will we'll we'll totally be restored. But he created man out of dust, and then he took the rib, the side of the man, and created the woman, and create, created the woman out of the rib. So both man and woman were created out of substance. And I was thinking about that. I'm thinking about what God is, is trying to do in our lives. And we're going to start this month. This month, it's just on my heart. It's just I'm just so full of everything God's putting into me about how do we live the disciplined life? How do we live? How do we really become the disciple God wants us to be? How do we grow? You see, if you're dealing with the same issue two years from now as you're dealing with right now, I feel like I failed. Because I want you to change. I want you to grow. I want you to be stronger. So what is it that helps us get stronger? What is it that helps us? Now, we might be dealing with new things. That's okay. <laughs> but you just don't want to be dealing with the same thing over and over because I believe God wants us to mature and grow. Become his disciple. How do we do that? How do we become the disciple that God has for us and that God wants to move in our life? And so this whole month, I'm going to be talking about building lives, basically how to be the disciple that God wants us to be. How do we become stronger? And, and I'm going to move into as practical things as I can that on my heart, just right out of God's Word, how do we live? So I want to start with uh, the theme verse for today. And I could just spend hours just walking through it. You need to wave through the Word. Don't, don't, don't read the Word. <laughs> you need to walk through it. You need, to, you need to see it like a river. The Word is often compared to water. See it like a river and you're just going to walk in it. See, the thing about a river is that when you walk into it, it can get deeper and deeper and deeper. And the same thing was with God's Word. You can just play, you know, your feet. Just play your feet in the water, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some people do that. I know Christians do that. Oh, yeah. That's nice water. Sort of, sort of cool. So I'm going to sit over here. Or you can get down in it. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's a shock. You ever jumped in a cold, cold pool, cold river? It's a shock, and you go, whoa, and then all of a sudden you realize, and then it gets better, and it gets better, and it gets better, but that's what I think God wants us to do. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 real quick. It says, for we, you and I, are God's workmanship, God's handiwork. God has created us, created in, in Christ Jesus to do good works. For God prepared in advance for us to do. So we're doing good works that God already laid out. That's a whole nother teaching. Talking about going deep. About God's gifts. 
that God has given you gifts. Every one of you has a gift. God has put gifts in your life. From the youngest to the oldest in here, you have gifts that God wants you to use that turn into good works. And God has already laid those out. God has already planned those out. God has already prepared in advance for you and given that to you for the edification of the body, to strengthen one another, to see what God wants to do to reach the world. So we are created in Christ. We are formed, another way, in Christ. So just like God took the dust and turned us into this amazing, amazing uh, uh, workings of, if you think about the body and everything it does, it's just amazing. And he took the rib and did the same thing with the woman. He created that. And God is still doing that. That's what you need to understand. God is taking you and forming you, except what he's using this time is not dust. It's not a rib. You know, I love ribs. Ribs are good. Oh, we got distracted. But the point is, it's not the rib. It is Christ himself. You are being formed. You are being made. You are being shaped. You are becoming the disciple that God wants you to be in Christ. That's the substance. And see, that's a good substance. That's good workings. That's good things. So this morning, I'm going to talk about how we are God-shaped. How we're God-shaped. And understand it. And it's, this is the, but I, I really can't go very deep into each one of these thoughts except to understand that they are so critical. And I'm going to, if I can convey an idea to you, a principle to you this morning, I want you to understand each one of these thoughts uh, will, will help us understand how do we become stronger in God? How do we uh, understand what, what he's trying to do? And it, there's three of them, and they form a table, a, a stand or a, a platform by which that we can grow stronger in Jesus Christ. I was uh, working in the yard a while back, several years, and I had a ladder, big, tall ladder. And so what do I do with a big, tall ladder? Put it as precariously as I can, stand it up. Didn't want to open it up all the way because, you know, that'd be too much work. So I just flew it up against the, the edge of the house, and I'm up there with this electric saw and going all crazy. And all of a sudden, everything starts to tilt. Everything starts to go. Everything's moving. And you know, when you fall, how, it, it, to me, anyway, this is my world, what I live, it just goes in slow motion, and I'm just thinking, I'm going to die, you know, because I see the saw going, and, and I'm thinking, this is not going to be a good movement. Hit the ground. Almost knocked the wind out of me. Probably did. Because all I can think of at that moment, it's not, God help me. It's not, God forgive me. It's, it, all I can think of is, don't let Lisa find out. Don't let Lisa find out. Don't let Lisa find out. <laughs> Because that's what I do, you know, I just sort of fall off things. But you see, this is the principle. The principle is, if you open up a ladder, it has four legs. Four legs, good. If you lean it up against the house, it has three, if you do it right. If you, there's one, two, and then the house is the third. That's the minimum. You have to have three strong pillars, legs, to stand up. And we're going to talk about what, that, what those are in our life, in discipleship, in understanding how to be God's disciple this morning, and how do we fulfill everything God's trying to do in our life. I love the story I call a friend of a friend. You ever have a friend of a friend of a friend, or hear a story about a friend of a friend? This is a story of a friend of a friend. And Jesus tells this story. And Jesus tells a story of a friend who has a friend that comes over. 
So, so this friend comes to this friend and says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm coming over, but this friend doesn't have any bread to give to this friend. So he needs, he's desperate. So he goes to his friend. Now this friend, this, we call him friend C, needs bread, needs substance, right? He needs it. Friend B know, uh, knows he needs it and knows that friend A has it, has abundance of it, has overflowing. He has this bread. So Jesus tells a story. It's late at night. He's already, friend A is already asleep. Friend B goes and bangs on the door and says, let me in and give me some bread because I have a friend, friend C. You don't know friend C, but I know friend C. And friend C is really, really needing this bread. Can you please come and help me and give me the bread? And he said, no, go away, go away. It's late. I've locked the door. It's all over. And he, he kept banging on the door and banging on the door and banging on the door until you get to Luke chapter 11, verse 8. I love, I love this. I love this verse. Look what it says. It says, because of your shameless. Now, this is Jesus explaining it, and I'll get to that in just a minute. Because of your shameless audacity. You just need to underline that. You need to highlight that. Write in your Bible. It's okay. It's not sacred. God's word is. So just point out that shameless audacity. Because you just kept on knocking, you will surely get up and give. uh, uh, He will, God, will surely get up and give you as much as needed. Now, to really understand the story, what is this story about? You need to know all the the people. (laughs) Because God is the one with all the bread. He's got all the bread. And he, Jesus even says that he's the, the one that has the bread. And he gives it generously. How much more will he give it generously? But he has all the bread. But we are the church, are the ones that need to seek the bread for the world who doesn't have it, who doesn't know how to get it. Because the world doesn't know how to get there. The world doesn't know friend A. But they're desperate for it. They're hurting for it. They're dying all around us and finding if I could just have a little bit of hope, if I can have a little bit of peace, if I can have a little bit of comfort, and they don't know how to get there. They don't know how to get there. But we, as the church and friend B, we know how to get there. We're a friend of a friend. You see, and here's my first thought. Here's the leg. The first thing, if you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to grow strong this week in what God wants you to do, you have to have this because God is forming us with shameless audacity. God is for me. You have to have that. You cannot. I'm convinced with all my heart and everything that I've studied, really understand how to be a disciple of Christ and grow in God if you are not living in shameless audacity. If you're not willing to bang on that door for someone who's lost or someone who's hurting or for someone who's sick, if you're not willing to do that, you see, God is the, is the bread owner, and God gives it generously, but we have to be the one willing to bang on the door and say, God, I got a friend. He's a friend of a friend, and he needs you. He, he needs to move in your life. And, and if, if we don't do it, if we aren't willing to knock, then how will they know? That's what the Bible says. But this is what we need to think of. Shameless audacity is always blocked by something. Hmm. Let's think about this for a minute. What would shameless audacity be blocked by? What would stop shameless audacity? Shameless audacity. So what would block shameless audacity would be shame. And I find more and more and more as I live in this world and 
do everything God asked me to do and to pastor, to love, to encourage, to teach. The church is living and Christians are living with shame. And you're thinking, what is that about? What, is, what, is, what does all that mean? Let me, let me tell you this story. Just to give us a little glimpse into it. Jesus is at a well and a woman comes in the middle of the day when she's not supposed to. She's hiding. You know off, you know almost immediately that she's dealing with shame because she would have gone early in the morning with everyone else, but she comes. In the middle of the day, and Jesus sees her and they have this amazing conversation. I wish I could spend all day talking about the conversation because this woman is sharp. You realize this is the longest discourse recorded in the Bible between Jesus and someone. This one. Of all the times that Jesus talks to people, Nicodemus, you know, whatever, this is the one. This is the longest discourse where there's an action back and forth. Jesus talking to someone. This woman. So she's sharp, and she's talking about worship, and she's talking about where you worship, and all these type of things. So she's going toe-to-toe with Jesus, and Jesus sees all of that. And then Jesus gets to the point of the shame. Because Jesus always does that. And he's going to do that to you even today. He gets to this point and he says, okay, go get your husband. I don't, I don't have a husband. You're right. You got, what, four or five husbands you had, and you're, the man you're living with now is not your husband. Now, this is where most people talk about the sinful woman at the well. But in studying this and going over this, it just, it just challenges my heart because there, there's something more there. There's something so much more than, than just, just the, some sinful woman who you know, runs around. Because, you see, in that day and age, you can't be divorced five times. Uh, or, let me say it this way, the only way to be divorced is for two reasons. That's it. In that day and age. There was only two reasons she could. One, if she cheated, if she committed adultery, if she ran around on her husband. That usually ended in rocks being thrown at her. <laughs> not a good moment. And maybe if she got off the first time, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, not going to happen. Not likely, right? So wait a minute. If it's not, she get get a divorce because of that. Why was she given five divorces? The only other reason is that if she was barren. So I want you to imagine that she gets married to this young man. She's so excited. It's going to be married like that. And then a year into the, the marriage, he says, man, you, you're, you can't do it. Because not me. It's never the guy. Come on, guys. <laughs> oh. Imagine how heartbroken she was. Remember how shameful she must have felt. I, I'm inadequate. I, I, I can't do it when he divorced her. And you think, that's tough. Try the second time. And all of a sudden, there's a, another man that she loves that is saying, hey, sorry, not going to work out. I wanted kids, and this is the way it is. So, and divorces her a second time. It's not double. It would be exponential, the shame. I, I can't do it. There's something wrong with me. I'm cursed. I'm not good enough. I'm not right. And all of a sudden, but now, think about this. The third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, and on top of that, every single time she's being uh, ostracized by society. Imagine the shame, the weight, the pain that she felt. How hard was that? Another thought was, wait a minute. Why does guys keep marrying this girl? <laughs> it was easy. She's hot. She was gorgeous. That's the only, that's the only explanation they're going to go. 
I'm going to risk that it's you because it could have been this guy, even though you don't admit it in society. It could have been the guy, and maybe she's good. <laughs> and then, but every single time, every single time, smart, beautiful, has everything, but is filled with shame because she feels inadequate. That's the woman that's standing before Jesus. And I love this. And so she gets to the eyes. She said, wait a minute, Greg. You know, she is sinful because she's living with this man. Yeah, I, yeah, okay. I got that. I, I, I understand that. But after five times of men dumping you, are you going to get married again? Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not for, uh, you know, uh, sleeping around and, and not being married. But at the same time, man, I could feel her pain. I could feel that weight, that guilt, that pressure that was on her. And Jesus was there. And you know what Jesus is doing? Come on. Just trust me. <laughs> One more. You can trust me. Now, you think, Greg, what is all this about, about shame? Jesus spoke to her. She changed. It was immediate. She goes out. Wow. This is what you got to understand. Where does shame come from? Where does shame come from? It's really easy. Shame is about self. I'm not good enough. I can't do it. I'm not right. I'm always a failure. Me, 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 me. It's always about self. Now, I'm not uh, beating her up, but I'm just telling you, when we feel shame, when we feel a failure, it's, when we feel that anxiety, and anxiety is real, and anger that we have, is that's all real, but in the end, you know what it's about? It's about us. It's about self. It's about who we are. And the enemy will do nothing but... Uh, it, more than try to attack you because he knows if you are living in shameless audacity, you are touching and changing the world because this woman runs into the city and says, let me tell you, let me tell you, there's a man. I know, I know you're saying number six. Yes, there's a man that changed my life. There's a man that turned everything around. There's a man that took away my shame. He's the Messiah. She went into some, and now remember who she is. She wouldn't even show up in the morning to get water with the other women. And now she's knocking on doors and she's banging uh, uh, the whole city. They said, hey, that probably wasn't right. Letting people know that God is there, that God is changing. Come on, come on, people. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we have to live in some shameless audacity, do you have shameless audacity in your life? Are you willing to say, God, I'm going to trust you? The Bible teaches that I can go on forever. There's no condemnation. You know what condemnation is? Self-condemning. It's shame. You know what guilt is? Self-condemning. God convicts so that we change. But the, if we wear it, if we, then it destroys us. It ties us down. It, it overwhelms us. Come on, we need to live with it. That's a, a key leg in this whole part about being a disciple is to understand what does it mean I gotta, I, you, you better start living with some shameless audacity. You better start banging on some doors and say, God, I'm going to believe for this. God, I'm going to see my son healed. I'm going to see my daughter turned around. I'm going to see my finances change. God, I'm going to see my neighbors touched with you. God, I'm going to see my life turned around. And, and this besetting sin that keeps biting me and pulling me and, and filling me with shame is going to be broken. We have to live with some shameless audacity. But the second leg we need to understand is spiritual authority because God is forming you with spiritual authority. I love this story. It's a funny story. It doesn't seem funny, but if you, if you see it, I think the way Jesus did. Jesus gave his disciples, 72 of them, authority. And they went out and they were casting out demons. They were casting out demons. 
If you've ever been in face-to-face with a manifestation, let me tell you something. There is, there's, the human flesh in us is thinking, yo, <laughs> this is scary. <laughs> they were, they were, had authority and power. They were casting out demons. And so they came back, and, they, and, they, and the, as you read it, it says, oh, we had power over the demons. And Jesus said, hey, be glad your name is written in the heaven. Let me, let me translate that to you to how we really live. They came back and they're high-fiving. Did you see that one? Did you see that demon run? Did you see all that? Well, and they're, they're high-fiving. They're all excited. And Jesus said, you just guys better be lucky. You're saved. <laughs> That's what I think it was because they didn't understand authority. And when we don't understand the spiritual authority that we have, everything is lost. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 19. It says that in those, that, that day and age, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords and spears. What they did is they took all the blacksmiths away so that you couldn't make a sword so that they could defeat them. <laughs> and that's how David found them. David didn't come to, against that giant with, a, with a, a, a sword. He had a slingshot. All the swords were gone except for Saul and Jonathan, you know, his son. So you see, this is what we need to understand. The Bible teaches us walk in the full armor of God. You heard that? You ever read that? You know, we think, okay, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to have the full armor of God. You put on the helmet. You put on the breastplate. That's good. That's great. But you need to understand about something with the armor. Why do you have armor? Because you're going to go into battle. <laughs> it, it, it's not just for good looks. <laughs> Sometimes we have good look Christians. No, no, we need to have armor that says, I need to be nicked up a little bit. See, when I played, you know, uh, football, I wasn't very good. So they didn't put me out there. <clears throat> and so at the end of the game, all the people that played, they all, you know, gruffed up and they're all scarred and they got this dirt and things like that. And I had this white uniform. Very embarrassing walking through the bus. All the cheerleaders are there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're walking through them and you want to you look cool. So I would always get dirt and rub it on me. <laughs> true story. True story. Just get a little dirt. Yeah. Yeah, it was a tough game. And they're thinking, would you trip on the way in? Because you weren't in the game. But that's the point. Because <laughs> maybe I probably did trip on the way in. So <laughs> the point is, the point is, it's, it's, it's not just for show. It's not just for show. The thing about football, you wear pads and helmet. And everything to protect you so you don't get hurt. So you can do what you need to do. Run 90 miles an hour into that line so you won't get hurt. But you know what's not protected? Your back. There's nothing back there. In fact, read scripture and it says, you know, there's nothing there for the back. There's nothing there at all. <laughs> because you're not supposed to show them your back. Come on. That right there is a whole, I can do a whole sermon right there. Don't show them your back. We need to understand the authority that we've been given. We need to understand the authority that we have. And we have authority to make a difference. We need to take up that sword. We go into battle. You're bad. We don't have a sword. You know, imagine Israel when they're standing there. You know why Israel didn't go and just attack the, the Philistines and they waited for David and everything? They, they, had a, they had a hoe. You got a sword? I got a hoe. <laughs> I, got a, I got a rake. I got a rake. You ever feel like you go into battle with a rake? I, I think we do. Because we don't pick up God's word. We don't put it in our heart. We, 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 we don't do that. You see, this is what you need to understand. The enemy doesn't care a flip whether he defeats you. Mm -mm. He needs to disarm you. 
Because if you def- he defeats you today, then maybe tomorrow you pick up the word and you say, but, but God's word says, greater is he that's in me that's in the world. God says that he's forgiven me. And God said, I have the grace in the Lord. And all of a sudden, that word starts to get in you and you start to pick up that sword and you win. So he's not about defeating you. He wants to totally disarm you. When's the last time you picked up the sword? When's the last time you actually put God? See, this is the second leg. Again, we could talk all day about this, but I just want to establish each one of these legs about understanding the, the, the shameless audacity. Come on, don't give up. Keep knocking. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Have faith. And then the second leg is understand the spiritual authority that we have, that God's going to move, that God's going to do it. God's word. Pick up that sword. Trust that. And here's my last thought. God is forming us with spatial acuity. What? What did he just say? <laughs> you see, spatial acuity, there's real technical terms, but I'll just put it to use the way I understood it in, in researching all this. Spatial acuity is understanding your relationship to the space around you, whether it's a frequency or whether it's a person. What, what's around me? I know my space. I know my space. In other words, how are you aligned with others. How are you connected? You see, we, we know, oh, I got to love people. Oh, I got to care for people. Yeah, yeah. But are you connected? Do you understand your spatial acuity to how you interact with the people around you? Do you understand that? <laughs> when I was little, my, my uh, I call my second and third mother, never married, but my aunts uh, for uh, the younger sisters of my mother, and they helped raise us. We're, I was one of six kids, and you need more than one, just to just tell you. So uh, more than my mom and dad. And so they're school teachers. But they, you know, sometimes we get so close and get involved and everything's going on. They say, hey, Greg, and they taught me about special bubble. I have a special bubble right around me, and you're in it. Come on, moms, you know about this special bubble. I, for years, for years, I, I, it finally dawned on me. They were not saying special bubble. They were saying spatial bubble because they're teachers. <laughs> and I was just going, oh, I heard special. Because <laughs> I always thought, hey, I got a special bubble around me. No, no, no. It's spatial. That means how do you interact with what's around you? What's going on around you? I want you to look at Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. This is one of the most uh, well-known quotes in the Bible by the world, not by us, by the world. This, they know this. It says, then the Lord said to Cain, who just killed his brother, <laughs> Where is your brother Abel? I love this. I don't know. I don't know. One of the first responses to God is, I don't know. And 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, whatever years later, we're still doing it. I don't know, God. (laughs) Am I my brother's keeper? Everyone seems to know that. Am I my brother's keeper? That's a world saying now. It's it's right out of the Bible. In other words, how's my, I don't, am I connected? Am I responsible? Do what? Do they care anything about me? Is, is, is there any kind of connection there? No, no, no. <laughs> because what happens is he lost. He didn't understand his spatial relationship, what was going on. How are you connected to others? How are you connected? to? And what connects you? What is it, the relationship that, that is moving? <laughs> the perfect example of this is Peter. And we're coming to a close here. Peter, Peter, Jesus is going around. Powerful moment. Washing the disciples' feet. Washing disciples' feet, and gets to Peter. Peter said, no, 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 you are the Messiah. And Jesus going, no, you don't understand about spatial acuity. He actually said that to Peter. 
That's the way it's translated in the Greek. And he, so he, he says, okay, then do all of me. Again, missing the point. It's not, about, it's not about what I'm washing. It's about how we're connected. It's about are you serving? What is your spatial acuity to other people? Peter just totally didn't understand it. Another one that we get wrong is, that, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews, do not give up meeting together unless it's COVID. Then you can because it's written right there. It's in a sub. No, it's not. Do not. Meet, uh, stop meeting together. Be here. And you think, yeah, yeah, okay, great. The Bible says that. We like to cut that part out because it doesn't really fit. But that's what the Bible says. But do you understand why? Because if you look, look at it in the verse before it is verse 24 and then tags in to verse 25. Look what it says. It says, and let us consider how we can spur one another to love and to good works and make a difference in their life, not giving up meeting together. You see where that goes? <laughs> You see why? It's not about you. It's about what you bring. And you think, oh, I'm, I'm coming to church, and pastor better be lucky. I show up, and I bring my tithe. You better be. Well, you know what? I'm, I, I am. Okay. I'm so grateful you show up. I, I love that. But that's not why you're here. You're here because you have a, re, a, a responsibility, a connection to everyone around you. They, that they can see you. Now, I love everyone online. I'm watching. I'm glad you're watching online. There's all kinds of reasons you're watching online. You're flying all over the world, whatever. Love you guys. But the point is, you're connected. Do you see that? Do you see that connection? What's your spatial acuity to your spouse? Mm, you better be saying, Greg, let's move on. Let's move on. Do you, do you put her down? Do you call her stupid? Do you say she's dumb? And they come to church, put on a smile, and love everybody. Mm. Your mission, your spatial acuity. What is your spatial acuity to worship? I probably will be talking about this next week because I think it's so important. But in, in worship, do we think it's about us? Oh, that's my favorite song. Wait a minute. You have a favorite song? I thought it was about coming and worship God. I think I, I thought it was about what are you giving to God? The Bible says raise your hands. I don't want to raise my hand. That's not how I worship. Okay, but God likes it when you raise your hand. You can do it like you want to do it, or you can do it like God wants to do it. God says, raise your hand. God says, lift your voice. Worship God. Raise your hand. <laughs> lift your voice. He said, Greg, if I lift my voice, no one's going to want to hear it. I know. I'm there with you. That's not the point. <laughs> let, it be, let it be a joyful noise. Let it be worship. It's not about you. It's about what you're doing. What is your spatial relationship in worship? What's your spatial relationship to the body of Christ? What's your spatial acuity, understanding what God is trying to do? Worship team, come on up. The most clear picture, the most acute picture of understanding spatial acuity is communion. Because you, communion is about our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. Jesus took the bread. Jesus took the, the cup <laughs> and said, this is my body. This is, this is who I am. Remember me. Now, why are we doing communion? Communion is all about understanding my spatial acuity to Jesus. He died for me. It wasn't just, I feel like dying or I'm going to spiritually die. His flesh was torn. He was sacrificed like an animal so that you and I could be forgiven of sin. You better get that. 
You better understand that. But it's not just about that. It's about one another. We're a body. We're connected. You're a part of me. I'm a part of you. That's what it's really all about. That's what spatial acuity is understanding. And we're going to take communion. But when we do, I want you to understand that. I'm going to think, God, how am I connected to you? Remembering what you did. And to my brothers and sisters, because we're going to do it together. So we're going we're gonna to do worship as, as, as you move over and uh, grab your bread, grab the cup, do not eat it. <laughs> Wait, hang on to it. We just, this is the way we do it. You're in court church, do it like court church. Hang on to it, come back here, remain standing, we're going to worship, and then together, because we're a body, we're going to take the bread, the broken body of Jesus Christ, we're going to take the cup and, and allow Christ to touch us.